Okay. Here we go. We're doing it. Perfect. We talked I'm, about it I'm for forever. <laughs> and now we're doing it. I bet everybody thought we wouldn't. Yep. Our haters are our elevators. <laughs> so, that being said, this is our podcast. Lady, you're scaring us. Lady, you're scaring us. Does that mean anything to you, Morgan? I don't know. <laughs> You'll soon learn what it means. Will I? Yes. If you haven't watched Billy Madison, then just... Nope, you haven't seen Billy Madison. You don't know what AIM is. <laughs> she doesn't know who JonBenet Ramsey is. She doesn't right. know who Lexi Peterson is. Like... And that's kind of the basis of why we started this podcast, to help Morgan. Perfect. We just, just, to, just sat to, around and started telling all these stories, and she just didn't get it. I don't know if it's because she went to a Christian college, Probably. or if it's because she's a Gen Z. Are you Gen Z? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But you only, ha- only hold some attributes of Gen Z, I feel like. No. No. <laughs> she's got them all. <laughs> she's got them all. I'm with Hillary. Yeah. Pretty much the basis of this podcast is going to be us telling Morgan all of these terrible, horrible stories. Yeah, because she's got to know. We were talking about the Idaho murders. I know that one. Right. That's how, that's what we were, that's what I'm saying. We were talking about it and you were just so into it and how you're so into true crime. And then we started name dropping and you're like, what? I know nothing. I don't know who that (laughs) is. Who is John Benarianti? Granted, you weren't born when this happened, but you should still know. I mean, I was barely born. And you're just a baby. But just a baby. No, I don't think you were born at all. Probably not. That, what was it, 94? Oh, definitely not. No. I think, <laughs> well, we're going to find out. We'll find out. out. <laughs> um, but you and I were born. Not too many. <laughs> yeah, it was. But we were born. It was 96. Okay. Yep. No. Well, so you we think were... after I've read this shit 10,000 times, <laughs> I'm so sick of hearing about this kid. When this is over, I never want to hear about her again, to be honest. And we mean that in a loving way. Yeah. Mm. Bless her soul. May she rest in peace. But all right, so you don't know anything about Jomini Ramsey? Nope. What are your thoughts about Southern beauty pageants? Not a huge fan, to be honest. I could see you being a um, pageant girl. Can you? Yeah. Why do you say that? I mean, you've been to <laughs> 75 weddings. Oh, I've not been to 75 maid wedding. of honor and all of them. <laughs> Shut up. Out here looking for dresses and hairdos and whatever. That else. is true. That's true. Okay. personality. Anyway. And you just glow when you do it. <laughs> so it just makes sense. But anyway. All right. Here we go. So we got to give you some backstory on the family. Okay. And whenever you have any kind of thought pop into your pretty little head, <laughs> you just say it. Perfect. So the Ramseys lived in Boulder, Colorado. Their house was three stories, 7,000 square feet. It had 15 rooms, four bedrooms, and six and a half bathrooms. I don't know why you would need more bathrooms than bedrooms. Hey, but So the dad consisted of John Bennett Ramsey. Yeah. Mm. They named their little girl. After both of them, actually. Perfect. It was John Bennett Patricia Ramsey. Patsy was the mom. So John Bennett Ramsey, multimillionaire businessman. He had his company, Access Graphics. It was a computer software company, and then it later became a part of Lockheed Martin, which I don't know if you know what that is. I only know what it is because of this. Um, They are the world's largest defense contractor. So he married Patsy, but before that, he was married and had three other children. Mm. One of his kids died at 22, five years before the whole John Monet thing. She was in a car crash. Um, and he worked a lot, so he was not home a lot. And then 
the mom, Patsy, she was the pageant mom. She won Miss West Virginia Beauty. Her sister was also Miss West Virginia um, a few years later. And she ended up being diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 1993. And then we have Burke. He was Chaminade's older brother. He was nine at the time of her murder. And that's all we're going to say for now because there's a lot to say about him later. Perfect. And we'll get to that. His name's Burke. Yeah. So then we have Jean Benet. She was born on August the 6th in 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. And then her family ended up in Boulder after she was born because of John's job. So she was, like we've said, a little pageant girl. She had won six titles by the age of six. She was Little Miss Colorado. She was Miss American Royal Tiny Miss. And then she even had a float in the Christmas parade. Mm. And her mom was there. Patsy was the driving force of these pageants. She lived her pageant life vicariously through her daughter. And a pageant director said about John Bonet with long blonde hair and big eyes, she just had that great southern look that pageants really like. She was just one of those natural-looking, beautiful girls that are so talented, the perfect pageant girl. Mothers are very competitive, and several told me that when John Bonet competed in pageants, they would just take their daughter out of the competition altogether because they knew that if the judges saw a child that looked like John Bonet did, then their kid wouldn't win. Sounds like a brat to me. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> not her fault. She's it's her... dead, Morgan. Yeah, Morgan. Okay. Come on. Show a little something like here. Wait, so the girl's name is John? Benet. Jean, Jean Benet. J-O-N and then Benet. But it's, it's a rip of John Benet. Yes. Wow. Okay. I like that they named their daughter after both of them, and then their firstborn was just Burke. Burke. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Like, Clearly a favorite child. Uh, yeah. Clearly. From the get-go. Yeah, I mean... So, a neighbor that lived across the street from the Ramseys and were pretty close to them told reporters that they were the best neighbors and that Jean Bonnet mm. was polite, well mannered, and that her, her and her mom traveled all around the country to attend the beauty pageants. And then another neighbor said they were really serious about the beauty queen stuff, but they never put any pressure on Jean Bonnet. I don't believe that that's true. Yeah. A lot of people say it wasn't. Some people say that, like I said, Patsy was really the one that. Kind of lit the fire you're gonna get in here, and you're going to get in this pageant, <laughs> you're gonna and you're get not going to embarrass me and or you're your father. Smile, dry it up, dry. Typical Southern, mom. dry it up. <laughs> I'll give you something to crab out. <laughs> so, fast forward to Christmas Day, 1996. Okay, okay. So they woke up, saw all the toys that Santa Claus brought, and they were rich. So I was thinking, JonBenet probably got some real good presents. She didn't get that great presents. Oh. You know, she, but she already had, from what I saw, two American Girl dolls mm. already. Perfect. Had one. What is this? Like? I had one American Girl doll, and I didn't even get the one that I wanted. Oh, five. <laughs> my mom picked out the one that she liked. I wanted Samantha, and she got Molly. I don't oh. think my parents had that issue with me and American Girl dolls at all. Do you know what those are? I have five. Is she, Hillary, not look out, Jominay, to brag, but she had five. Okay, which yeah. ones? Um, I have Molly, mm-hmm. Kit, we like Samantha, her. Felicity. Uh, what's that other one? I don't know that last one. Oh, Molly's friend, Emily. I think it's Emily. She not only had the main characters, I had the friend too, <sighs> and all the clothes, and an ice skating rink. An yeah. ice skating rink. These fake. 
plastic yes. toys yes. had their own skating rink. Correct. And a horse-drawn carriage. So you would have given Jomini a run for her money. Probably. I mean, I feel like Morgan would have been, like, that girl that put Jomini out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. So I looked up the popular toys, toys for Christmas that year. Yeah. And I had some of them. I don't know if you... Did you ever have a Sky Dancer? It was yes. like... Yeah, you pulled the little string and, and it shot up. Flew? And yeah. they fucking flew. <laughs> yeah. And then one of the other hot toys this year, that year that I had, it was this Cabbage Patch doll. And it had a backpack. Yeah. And it came with little pieces of food. And you would put it in the Cabbage Stop Patch doll's it. mouth. And it had like a little motor thing in it that made it look like the Cabbage Patch doll was chewing and it would eat the food. And then it would like go down her back and fall out of her backpack. That's actually kind of terrifying. <laughs> I loved it. They got recalled oh. because girls were putting their hair in the mouth oh, and it was getting wrapped up no. in the motor. Why were they what? putting their hair? I don't know. I never did it. Was it tempting? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was, but I never did it. I so just, you know, want to know what would happen if I put my hair. Yeah, so they got recalled. What about Burke? What did Burke get for Christmas? Um, Burke got a Nintendo 64. See, no, I I'm rocking with Burke in the 64. Yeah. So, do you, no. Yeah. No idea. A Nintendo 64? No. <gasps> okay. You never had the, you never understood the frustration that was pulling the cartridge out, having to blow on it, and then put it back in so the game would work? No. She was too busy with the rings and the American <laughs> Girl dolls. Yeah, I guess. Did you, um, have you ever played Mario Kart? Uh, Donkey Kong. Yeah. I had a Game Boy. <laughs> yeah, we all had Game Back Boys. in the day, okay. but that's pretty much it. Okay. Was it a Game Boy Color? No. Mine was pink. <laughs> but I literally remember that it was, I don't know if it was 96 or before, I got a Super Nintendo. Hell yeah. Yeah. And I was <laughs> stoked. Okay. And I looked and I had all these games, like a fucking stack. And I was like, dude, I was good this year. Santa brought all the games. I had like a Barbie game. There was one called Claymates. I was like, this is going to be great. I got to look even closer. All of them, but like one were rented from movie gallery. Wow. So I was like, <laughs> Santa fucking rented my games from the movie gallery. Hmm. What the fuck? So is it like a free trial? You didn't get to keep the game? They had to go back eventually? That's what I said. I was like, so well, we have to return these? And my mom was like, looks like it. Oh my God. Listen, and I was like, mama was balling on the budget. She did the best I, that she could. I was, but I was like, mm, but also, what if we just didn't return them? <laughs> what if we just kept getting those late It's fees? not on your account. It's on <laughs> Santa's account. <laughs> And she said, yeah, but then you probably wouldn't get presents next year. And I was like, mm. yeah, we can't, we can't uh, mess with our credit. We'll run up. Yeah, Big ruin man. Santa's credit. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, he got a Nintendo 64 and a remote control car. Jean Benet got a bicycle, which is always a good Christmas gift. Yeah. And she got this doll. It was called a um, My Twin Doll. Okay. And it was supposed to look like her. And they had matching mm-hmm. outfits. And, and like, apparently Jean Benet was like, Mm, yeah, this doesn't look a lot like me. Oh and tossed it to the side, and Patsy was like, <sighs> so. And then she got a jewelry gra- craft kit. So, oh, like a jewelry crafting oh, kit. Jewelry. Yeah. So then that night, they went to a Christmas party at a family friend's house. His name was Fleet White. Mm. Fleet, like the anima. <laughs> so, love that. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they went there, and then they came back about 10 o'clock, and they said that Jean Bonnet fell asleep on the way home mm-hmm. in the car. So as soon as they got home, they you know got her out of the car, carried her to her room, put her in the bed. And uh, they all got ready for bed because they were supposed to go to their vacation home in Michigan mm. early the next morning. Of course. Yes, because, you know, people like that have uh, Money. Homes. So that's Christmas okay. Day. Okay. Okay. So, Taylor, why don't you start telling us about Christmas? The day after Christmas. The day after Christmas. Yeah. The dreaded day after Christmas. Mm. Okay. So around 5.30, Patsy wakes up and gets ready for the day. She goes downstairs at like 5.45. She finds a three-page handwritten ransom note at the bottom of the stairs. She says she only had time to read a few lines, and it stated that John Bonet had been kidnapped but was safe and unharmed, and it was demanding $180,000 for her return. Patsy immediately screamed and proceeded to check John Bonet's room, which was empty. After hearing Patsy scream, John ran downstairs and met her at the stairwell. Mm. Together, they checked on Burke, who appeared to be asleep in his room. And uh, John then went downstairs to read the ransom note while Patsy called the police. All right, I'm going to read the note. Okay. And any time you have anything to say, you, you just, just interrupt. You just... Taylor, you keep your mouth shut. All right. Oh. <laughs> Day, because this is this is Morgan. This is where I want to hear. This is yeah. where you shine. Yeah. Oh, is that so? Okay. okay. So okay. this is the note. Ready, Mr. Ramsey. Listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want her to see 1997, then you must follow our instructions to the letter. Okay. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills. Oh, my gosh. And the remaining $18,000 needs to be in $20 bills. Hmm. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. Do you know what an attache is? No. It's a briefcase. Perfect. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery. What? Nothing. Okay. An earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, or etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. Mm. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement, countermeasures, and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter. If you try to outsmart us, follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You're not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing you that don't so don't think that killing will be difficult. 
Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good Southern common sense of yours. It's up to you now, John. Victory, SBTC. So what do you think of that? I think she's already dead. Why? Because that's just, no, she's already dead. Okay. What are your, what are your other thoughts? I don't know. (laughs) No other thoughts? Is it weird? It's extremely weird. Okay. Like, they can't even talk to a stray dog. Weird. It's threatening. Very. She's already dead. (laughs) Okay. That's my firm belief. Okay. Just your firm belief that she's dead. Yeah. She's already dead. Nothing weird about what happened or how they found it. Or the wording of the letter. If you wrote a ransom note, what would you say? I would probably, I don't know. Good question. She doesn't think about these things, only we do. (laughs) I don't. Would it be that long? No, probably not. It'd be short and sweet. To the point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, at 5.52 a.m., the Boulder Police Department received a panic phone call from Patsy Ramsey. We're going to let you listen to that, okay? What do you think of that? Wow. Um, Does she sound like very sincere? distressed? Yeah. She sounds yeah. Dis- okay. She just dro- lost her spoiled rotten daughter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that was her pride and joy, and she's gone. She sounds very distressed. Okay. So after she got off the phone, she called some family friends, and two officers arrived within three minutes. They did a really quick search around the house, but they didn't find any sign of force entry. So an officer, like I said, their house was huge. So an officer went down to the basement, and he came to this door that had like a wooden latch, Mm -hmm. and he stopped, and then he walked away because he said that he was checking for exits that Mm. she was taken out of, and then the latch was facing him, so it obviously it was not an exit, so he just moved along. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. And then Patsy and John called their friends mm. and their friends got there and they were coming into the house. It was Fleet White and his wife Priscilla and then Jar- John and Barbara Fernie. And then they invited their reverend, uh, mm. Reverend Hoverstock, and they came in the house. Can't forget the pastor. Yeah. Is that kind of. It is weird because now it's like a the house is a crime and they're scene. bringing people into mm-hmm. the crime. So. Yep, and crime scene was contaminated yep. from that point. Um, and then they called some victims advocates to come in mm. with the parents. 
you know, to talk to them and kind of help them through. The victim advocates brought bagels and coffee. Oh. and But then at one point they were using the kitchen and they started tidying things up. Oh. And they cleaned the kitchen and they were wiping down the counters, possibly wiping away evidence. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So tell us about Fleet. Every time I hear that part of the story, it pisses me off. Yeah. Fleet White helped with the search early on. Within approximately 10 to 15 minutes of his arrival, he searched the basement of the Ramsey residence. He noticed the lights were on and a broken window in the train room. Mm -hmm. Under the broken window, Fleet stated there was a suitcase along with a broken shard of glass. The latch on the window was in the unlocked position, and his impression was that the window was closed. Fleet also opened the door to the wine cellar, but he could not see anything inside because it was dark and he could not find the switch. During all of this, Burke was taken to a family friend's house. So Burke is no longer in the house. And then during that time, uh, John was on the phone and they said it sounded like he was trying to arrange all the money for the ransom. Oh, huh. Okay. Detectives, including Lisa Arndt. Mm -hmm. Okay. Taylor can read. Arrived around 8 a.m., tape recorders were attached to the phones to record the ransom call that was to come between 8 and 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock passed, no phone call. Mm. And you know what the weird thing was? What? Nobody said anything. Mm. I didn't parents. Would you have been, like, waiting? That's a little fishy. You, you would have been waiting by the phone? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you would think most parents would yeah. be, like, they just lost looking at their daughter. I'm like, bitch, it's 9.58. Mm. Yeah. Okay. The cops didn't seal off John Bonet's room until 10.30 a.m., and then between 10.30 and noon, John Ramsey left the house for like an hour. That's the dad, right? Yeah. And okay. I guess Detective Arndt said that it seemed like he said he was going to go pick up the mail. Mm. For an hour? Well, also. Your daughter is missing. Do you really care about the mail? No. Yeah. Okay. But. So, you know, they'd searched all morning, did whatever, and it was like one in in the afternoon and for whatever reason the detective had john his friend fleet and then john fernie the friend they were in the kitchen and she said john was just kind of like scattered he looked like he needed something to do so she said why don't you guys go search the house again top to bottom see if you can find any sign of john benet or anything that was missing she said she wanted to keep john ramsey's mind occupied hmm. So she said this, and John immediately went to the basement, and Fleet followed him. And while they were down there, Fleet pointed out the broken window, and John said, yeah, I broke it a few months ago. Mm. I was locked out of the house, didn't have my key, mm. broke it. And then they looked at a couple other different places, and then John goes to the wine cellar and screams. Oh, okay. okay. The, the same wine cellar that, that has, has already been yeah. yeah. And he couldn't find the light to look. Okay. Yeah. John Ramsey had just found his daughter's body in the tiny space that was intended to be a future wine cellar. It was nothing but bare concrete walls, a floor, and a single light bulb hanging from a cord. It was used to store Christmas decorations and to hide some of the kids' presents. John ran to his daughter's body. It was wrapped in a blanket. He pulled back the cover. Her mouth was covered by duct tape, and her hands were thrown back above her head. A garrote of white cord was wrapped tightly around her neck and furrowed into her skin. So what it was is like a stick... With a noose, but when you turn the stick, it oh. tightens up oh the rope. Okay. So that's what a garage mm. is. Okay. Thanks for explaining. Yeah, no problem. So it furrowed into her skin. It was so tight. Another loop of the white cord loosely circled her right wrist outside the cup of her shirt. Okay. John ripped off the duct tape, 
removed a cord from one of her wrists and scooped up her body and ran up the stairs where he laid her on the living room floor. So a lot of people kind of like critique him for that, but I feel like most parents would do that. Mm. Don't you? Yeah, I mean, like, you've, you've been looking for your kid for so long, and then all of a sudden you find them in that condition, and you're going to be, like, hoping they're still alive. You pick yeah. them up and... Sure. Or just, you just don't want to see them like that. Exactly. Like, you just rip the tape off, you know, just get it off. Your get it off of them. Yeah, yeah that'd yeah. be, I feel like that'd be your immediate reaction. So I don't really yeah. fault him for that. Sure. Because I think that was kind of a natural... Parent move. Reaction. Yeah. yeah. A big parent move. <laughs> <laughs> he laid her down on the living room floor. It's unclear why, but then Detective Arndt picked up her body and moved it to the living room near the Christmas tree. But later she said she didn't do this. John knelt beside her, repeating, my little angel, my little angel, over and over. And then the friends came in with Patsy, who was too stunned to speak. And she eventually just like kind of fell over JonBenet's body. She got on her knees, a source said, and screamed, Jesus, you raised Lazarus from the dead. Raise my baby. Mm. Why are you laughing? It's not funny. <laughs> Morgan. I'm sorry. It's just the Bible connotation. You should understand it more than me and Taylor. <laughs> That's true. Okay. <laughs> Detective Arndt stated in her affidavit that her lips were blue. She had rigor mortis. She was not breathing. Her body was cool to the touch. There was a red circular mark in the front of her neck about the size of a quarter at the base of her throat. She had an odor of decay, and she had dried mucus from one of her nostrils. She was dead. Yeah, she was dead. At 1.50, the Boulder police then began to properly secure the home. It took them hours, but they did it after they found her body. The family and their friends left the house at 2.15, and the Ramseys went to stay with the Fernies. This also, now keep in mind, all of this started at 5 in the morning. Yeah, and they didn't seal off the house until 1.50. Interesting. The nylon cord that was attached to JonBenet's right wrist... It was still there. Her father had removed the loop that encircled the left wrist when he had discovered her body. It was noted that the loop was loose enough you could place your fingers between the cord and JonBenet's wrist, and that left no marks or abrasions on her skin. Another piece of the cord was embedded in JonBenet's neck. The loop around her head was determined to be configured with a slipknot, with the trailing end leading from the midline of the back of her neck and wrapped around a splintered stick. The stick measured approximately four and a half inches in length, and the word Korea was printed on it. The stick was later determined to be a portion of a broken paintbrush handle found in an art tray near the entrance to the wine cellar. The slipknot was situated at the back of her head, so it was presumed that John Bonet had been facing away from the perpetrator as they had tightened the noose around her neck. How do you say that word? Garot. The garot. I feel like there should be an accident there. When the garrote was removed, the remaining furrow was dark red in color and revealed how deeply embedded the cord had been buried into the flesh of her neck. Or at least that's how everybody else I've heard says it. I don't think it's garrote. Garrote. Uh, it's a garrote. 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 I don't know. A triangular-shaped bruise was observed on the front of John Bonet's throat and below the line of the bedded cord. Her eyelids and the conjunctive of her eyes revealed the presence of particular hemorrhages. These hemorrhages indicated that John Bonet had been alive when the garrote had been applied and tightened around her throat. The examination of the outer skin of her body revealed minor scrapes, abrasions, and marks. Located upon the top of her left shoulder were signs of scrape marks. Her, her lower leg had another abrasion that was thought to be a scratch mark. On the lower left quadrant of her back, there were two distinct red abrasions. They appeared small in size and round in shape, measuring 
0.5 millimeters in distance from one another. At some point during the process, investigators decided to stop their examination of John Bonet, and then they fingerprinted her skin. They weren't successful in lifting any latent fingerprints. There were no outward appearance of injury to her head. No trace of blood had been observed in her hair, and the scalp did not reveal signs of any type of injury. But upon internal examination, investigators were surprised to learn that she had suffered a severe blow to the upper right side of her skull. The injury was rectangular in in shape. Fractured bone from the skull had caused extensive damage to the brain below. Fresh subdural hematoma was apparent as well as subarachnoid hemorrhaging. There was a lot of cerebral swelling observed. The break in the bone was eight and a half inches long. It began behind her right ear, moved up and forward to the top of her skull, and all the way to the front of her skull. And it it essentially covered the whole right side of her head. Her clothing was removed and bagged for a collection of fibers and other evidence. Mm -hmm. And upon the removal of her clothing, the underwear and the long johns were observed to contain dried yellowish colored urine stains and two circular stains of blood in the crotch. An alternate light source was used to scan her body uh, to search for trace evidence of other fluids. The area around her upper thighs illuminated traces of fluid, but it indicated that she may have been wiped clean with some sort of cloth. So they could tell that there was something there, but yeah. they could tell that someone had you tried know, tried to, to wipe yeah. something away. Okay. Wow. Investigators thought that perhaps the fluid source was semen, but swabbings of the area later determined that it was a smear of blood. Vaginal trauma was noted. The area was inflamed and had been bleeding, and it appeared that a foreign object had been inserted into John Bonet's vagina at or near the time of her death. Wow. But there was also signs of chronic inflammation. Oh, wow. And a doctor said that the irritation appeared consistent with prior sexual contact. There were no traces of food present in her stomach, but there were remnants of what appeared to be raw pineapple in her digestive tract. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Pineapple. Pineapple. Okay. Just pineapple. Just pineapple. So the cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma. Medical experts were in agreement that below to John Bonet's skull had taken place some period of time prior to her death by strangulation. The bruising beneath the garrote and the <laughs> particular hemorrhaging, particular hemorrhaging in her face and eyes were conclusive evidence that she was still alive when the tightening of the ligature ended her life. A neuropathologist told investigators that the below to the skull had immediately begun to hemorrhage and it was not likely that she would have regained consciousness after receiving this injury. The blood of the head, if left untreated, would have been fatal. The presence of swelling in the brain suggested that John Bonet had survived for some period of time after receiving the blow to the head. Mm. It was estimated that it would have taken an hour or so for the swelling to develop, but that it, this swelling had not yet caused JonBenet's death. Neurological changes to the brain cells indicated a, sur- a period of survival after the blow that could have ranged between 45 minutes to two hours. Mm-hmm. The way the cords were tied around the neck and wrist suggested that JonBenet had been bound, not with the intent to kill, but to restrain. The cord around her neck showed several loops around the stick, indicating the stick had served as a handle to turn and to tighten the noose, as if it were... A tourniquet. The loose bindings around her wrist suggested some form of staging might have taken place. So there's already some inconsistencies. But the one around the neck was tight, right? Well, yeah, because they used, used the it. thing okay. to tighten it up. Okay. And, I mean, that's what killed her. Right. The pair of marks noted on John Bonet's lower left back were considered to have been the physical results of the electrodes on two-pronged stun guns. 
Medical consultants considered that the timing of the tracking of the pineapple that moved through JonBenet's digestive tract, it was generally agreed that the timing of the ingestion of this fruit could have coincided with the time frame regarding her head injury. So, like, she had to eat it right before. Before. Right before. She apparently took a blow to the head. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know about pineapple either because who eats pineapple around Christmas? That's a valid point. Unless it was on a fruit tray. Children. Yeah. But at 4 o'clock in the morning? Now, it was 5 o'clock in the morning when when they they discovered the note. Okay. But they, I don't know that it ever said what time they thought she died. I don't know if I ever saw that. Interesting. I mean, but it doesn't take long for rigor mortis yeah. to start. But remember, the, the detective said that it had already started and she already started to smell. Yeah. Which I don't know how long that takes. But I know it doesn't take long to start stiffening up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it was estimated that it would have taken between two to five hours for the pineapple to move through her system. Therefore, it appeared to investigators that she had eaten the pineapple not long before receiving the blow to her head. Mm-hmm. Unidentified male DNA was found in JonBenet's underwear, and touch DNA was discovered on the waistband of her long johns. Mm. Yikes. That's sad. So police didn't find any footprints in the snow around any entry points to the house or the house at all. They didn't find any evidence of forced entry, and John Ramsey told them that all of the doors had been locked when they went to bed that night, and they were still locked when they found JonBenet in the morning. Her room looked normal. The bedding had been pulled back as if she had just like got in the bed or got out of the bed. Nothing was like strewn anywhere. There were no signs of a struggle. And again, no signs of forced entry. But she also had a balcony on her room because she was a rich girl. Mm, Of course. Yeah. And there were no (laughs) signs of forced entry into that either. Huh. Um, They said it just looked like a typical six-year-old's room. Interesting. So investigators went through and they collected and tagged a bunch of potential evidence and then they got DNA from everybody, and they got handwriting samples oh, from everybody nice. because of the... Smart. Yeah, the letter. Right. Okay. So when they were looking around the train room... The what room? The train room. So in the basement, one of the rooms had like um, Burke's toy train set in it, so okay. they just called it the train sure. room. Got it. It was like a play area. Got it. There was a grate over the window okay. to that room, and they noted that there were spider webs on the grate. Okay. So that means no one Nobody went in. Actually, yeah. Right, because they weren't disturbed. So the wine cellar was examined, and the investigators noted the imprint of a boot and some of the mildew mm-hmm. on the floor next to her body. And it was from like a high-tech brand boot, and there appeared to be another partial boot print nearby, but they couldn't really, it was kind of, it wasn't distinguishable, they said. Um, and there was nothing in the label of the print that would help mm-hmm. match it yeah. to another boot. Broken shards of wood from the Korea paintbrush handle would be found on the floor outside the entrance to the wine cellar. And a portion matching the handle, so the part, the other part that was broken off, mm-hmm. was found in a paint tray, Patsy's paint tray, near the door. And they eventually did match it up yeah. to the one that was found around the rope that killed JonBenet. So a bowl of pineapple was found on the Ramsey's dining room table. None of the Ramsey's admitted to putting it there. The pineapple has been viewed as a significant piece of evidence because it contradicts the Ramsey's story about carrying JonBenet asleep from the car and putting her straight to bed the night of her death. Interesting. Huh. 
To have consumed pineapple from the bowl after her dinner, John Bidet must have been awake at some point after she got home. Fingerprints from Burke and Patsy were found on the bowl. Burke's fingerprints were on the glass of tea next to the bowl. And I don't know if I added this in later, but they did confirm, too, that the Whites did not serve any pineapple at their party that night. Like, you know, like we said on a fruit tray or anything. They said they didn't have any pineapple at the party. Huh. It's getting a little fishy. It's been fishy. An additional uh, odd piece of physical evidence would be discovered sitting in plain view on top of the kitchen counter. Standing upright amidst food articles, a black maglet brand flashlight, similar to the type used by police officers, had been observed by the CSIs processing the crime scene. It was processed for latent fingerprints inside and out, but nothing could be lifted from its surfaces. The Ramses would later indicate that they may have owned a similar type of flashlight and stated that it had been kept in a kitchen drawer. The presence of the flashlight on the kitchen counter was never fully explained. However, it would later be identified as a possible weapon used in the blow to John Bonet's head. Wow. Yes. Okay. So, the ransom note, three pages. Wow. It had been torn from a legal pad in the Ramses' house. Wow. Sounded like an insider to me. Does it? Very much. The police also found what they called a practice note on the page just before the three that were turned out. So they were able to look at it and tell that the person had started to write the words Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey, Mm. but they decided to change it to Mr. Ramsey. So they started to write one, then they ripped it out and started writing another. Three felt tip pens had been seized from a cup holder located on the kitchen counter beneath the telephone that Patsy used to call 911. The ink on the ransom note matched the ink from one of those pens. Oh, my gosh. So that meant that the whole note had been composed from materials within the home and not prepared before the kidnapper entered the residence. Mm. So also the ransom of $118,000 matched almost to the penny to the amount of John Ramsey's bonus from oh. Access Graphics for the year. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. Wow. Investigators obtained a record of JonBenet's mm-hmm. medical treatment from her pediatrician. Her pediatrician <laughs> rejected any possibility that she had been a victim of sexual abuse. He mm-hmm. firmly insisted that he had never seen any physical or behavioral indications of that. He made the statement, I can tell you, as far as her medical history is concerned, there was never a hint whatsoever of sexual abuse. I didn't see any hint of emotional abuse or physical abuse. She was very much a love child, just as her brother. He said he would have obviously reported any suspicion of sexual abuse because he's required to do so by law. It's also right. said that, I mean, while he says this, she was six years old or younger, so he never conducted a vaginal right. exam right. because obviously there's no need to. Right. So he says this, but... He never actually looked, yeah. obviously. On Primetime Live, the doctor told Diane Sawyer that she, uh, JonBenet had complained of pain while urinating during three of those visits. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest were from colds, sinus problems, or other normal complaints. He believed that the vaginal inflammation he diagnosed had been due to poor bathroom hygiene or mm-hmm. common irritation, irritation from a bubble bath. Mm. Uh, he also listed bedwetting as an occasional problem, but said that that was common in a high percentage of girls for that age. Sure. But, I mean, is it bedwetting kind of high in instances of sexual abuse cases too, though? I would say so, yeah. That's just something that I picked up or thought hmm. of. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, 
The Colby family, who lived in the alley behind the Ramsey home, had a 10-year-old son who sometimes played with Burke. They also had two dogs that reportedly barked every time they heard someone in the alley. Mrs. Colby indicated that her dogs did not bark at all Mm. Christmas night. A neighbor who lived across the street told detectives that she had gone to bed around 10 p.m. on Christmas night. Her open bedroom window faced in the direction of the Ramsey home, and she thought she had heard a child scream sometime between the hours of midnight and 2 a.m. For unknown reasons, however, she could later she would later recant her statement. Interesting. So police started interviewing everybody mm-hmm. that was at the house that morning, and they started with some of the friends. And some of those people made inter- interesting comments during the interviews. So when JonBenet's body was found, Fleet White swore that he heard John Ramsey scream before the light in the room was turned on. And this stuck out to him because he was the one that opened the door earlier and couldn't see anything and closed it because he couldn't find the light switch. So he'd already opened that door, yeah, didn't see anything, and then closed it. Then the other John, John Fernie, noted at one point during his interview that the note didn't make sense to him and it seemed to contain some kind of fakey stuff. Mm. The reverend that was over recalled John saying when he ran up the stairs, I don't think he meant to kill her because she was wrapped in the blanket. That's what he says he recalls John saying when John ran up the stairs. Okay. Doesn't make a ton of sense. Well, it doesn't. How do we know it's a he? Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. When asked about any suspects that came to mind, Linda Hoffman Pugh, the family's current housekeeper, was named, and this was due to her recent request for a $2,000 loan from his wife. Detectives were also told that Hoffman Pugh had previously mentioned concerns about the kidnapping of John Monet. Because she had been named by uh, a possible suspect by the parents, the detectives paid her home a visit on the evening of December 26th, not long after the discovery of John Monet's body. Word of the kidnapping kidnapping and murder had not yet reached Hoffman Pugh. They informed Linda that Boulder Police had received a call that morning reporting the kidnapping of John Monet. The first words out of her mouth were, oh my God, oh my God. He explained that there was a note and that John Monet was missing and that they were talking to a number of people who knew and worked for the family. Linda told the investigators that several months earlier, she had talked to Patsy about John Monet and Burke walking to school alone, and JonBenet playing outside on her skates. She had wondered if Patsy was ever fearful of JonBenet being kept out under those circumstances. So when the Ramseys were like, oh, the housekeepers and something about JonBenet being kidnapped before, that's what they were referring mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Like, just her being like, hey, you think you want your kids running around by themselves outside? Mm. You're never scared somebody else Especially your little girl that's a beauty pageant who anybody could go and watch. Yeah. You wow. know what I mean? <laughs> so, um... Hoffman Pugh seemed to be unclear as to what was happening and asked the investigators if John Bonet was still missing at that moment. The detective paused momentarily and then told her that John Bonet had been murdered. Mm-hmm. Hoffman Pugh screamed and broke down so completely that the investigators were, were unable to complete an interview that they had desired. So one interview took place with a family friend. She wasn't there, mm-hmm. but it was just somebody they still talked to. She reported that John Bonet had told her about a secret Santa Claus who was going to make a special visit to see her after Christmas. Interesting. And this led them to a guy named Bill McReynolds. Bill McReynolds played Santa Claus at the Ramsey Christmas parties. Apparently they did a Christmas party every year, and he was always the one to play Santa Claus. And JonBenet reportedly was fascinated with Santa, as -hmm. most kids are. And one party, she took him on the tour of her house, and that included her basement and the bedroom. And... People kind of bash on McReynolds because he said weird stuff. Like he yeah. he said that he was 
struck by Jean Bonnet's quiet smile and her angelic glow. And then one year when he when he was about to leave the party, uh, Jean Bonnet handed him like a vial of gold glitter. And he said no child had ever given him a gift before, and it touched his heart. Mm. And then the next year she did the same thing. She gave him the little thing of glitter, and he called it stardust. And he said that it just touched him so much that he took it with him for luck when he went to heart surgery. Her death was harder for him than that operation, he said. He said, she made a profound change in me. And he had told his wife that when he died, he wanted his body to be cremated and that he wanted the glitter mixed in with his ashes and scattered behind their cabin in the Rockies and have it blow away in the wind. Oh, my gosh. But no bill. He submitted hair, handwriting, and blood samples, and he was cleared of any involvement in the crime. They also interviewed some coworkers that John had that may have had a grudge against him, like people that had been fired or yeah, sure. just anything like that in the past, and they were all cleared. So you're probably thinking, oh, what did the family say about all this? Because they interviewed them too. Yeah. Well, two detectives went to the Fernie residence where the Ramseys went to stay after uh-huh. all that on Friday, December 27th, so the day after they found JonBenet, and they wanted to schedule more detailed interviews. When they got there... There was a family friend who was a former Boulder County prosecutor that was giving legal advice to John Ramsey and told John Ramsey not to speak to them. Mm. Um, John Bonet's pediatrician was present, and he refused to let Patsy be interviewed because she was under the influence of medication and was described as being too distraught to even consider responding to the police department to answer questions about the murder of her daughter. Interesting. Um, the te- detectives had to leave because they were unable to schedule a date and time for a future interview. The following day, Saturday, uh, December 28th, investigators were notified by the Boulder County Assistant District Attorney Pete Hofstrom that the Ramsey family was now being represented by attorneys. Any questions of the family regarding the circumstances surrounding the death of their daughter would have to be put into writing and presented by Hofstrom to their legal counsel. No face-to-face interview between Boulder police investigators and Ramsey family members would be scheduled for months. Interesting. So the lawyering thing up, I'm kind of conflicted on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily think that's fishy, you know? I mean, so many things are fishy about it. Not talking to police is fishy. Yeah, for sure. Like not. I mean, yeah, the lawyer thing's fishy itself, but why is everybody and their mother with the Ramsey family right now? Like, why is the pediatrician there? Yeah. Why is XYZ there? Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's almost like they're all collectively came together. Like, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what happened. This is whatever. And, I mean, money talks, so who knows? Not say uh, allegedly, (laughs) but if I'm Patsy and I've found out that my daughter was murdered so aggressively, found the way that she was, yeah, I'm going to be distraught, and yeah, I'm going to be beside myself, but I'm also going to be looking for the motherfucker mm-hmm. aggressively. Yeah. Yeah, and helping in any way you can, which sure. means talking to the police. Mm. So they wouldn't talk to the police, but they did interviews huh. with the news. Which <laughs> is just... <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, John and Patsy Ramsey went to Atlanta studios uh, of CN- CNN News on January 1st, 1997. Again... Won't talk to police, but mm. go to Atlanta to be on CNN. Of course. For an exclusive interview, interview just 24 hours after they had buried their daughter. Mm. 
For 27 emotional, spellbinding minutes, they offered their account of that awful morning, answered questions about the last seven days, proclaimed their innocence of any involvement in their daughter's death, and thanked their friends for, the, for, their, for supporting them in this terrible time. They announced they were posting a $50,000 reward for information leading to their daughter's killer and that they were hiring private investigators to assist in the search for clues. We're hiring private investigators, mm-hmm. but we won't talk, talk to the police. police. Yeah. Okay. Little bizarre. Patsy Ramsey uh, continued to be emotionally fragile, and her attorney at one point had suggested that she be interviewed interviewed for no longer than an hour at a time and that she be in the company of her physician. Again, why? Yeah. Like, I can understand, like, I can't answer any more questions. My lawyer needs to be here. I can't answer any questions because I'm doped up on pills and I need my doctor to tell me what I I need my daughter's pediatrician. Yeah, Yeah. my daughter's pediatrician. (sighs) Patsy. <laughs> Patricia. Whatever. Oh, Patricia. Patsy just... Something's going on with the pediatrician and Patsy. It's always the Patricia. The... <laughs> Dr. Love. Uh, detectives would be allowed to see her at one of the Ramsey's attorney's offices, but no visit to the police department building would be permitted. Mm. Again, why is the physician making these decisions? Yeah, so they were saying... We'll let you talk to her, but this has to be done. This has to be done. This can't be done. So detectives were like, mm, The Olivia mm, Benson mm. in me would be like, uh, no. I don't know who that is. Olivia Benson? Mm-hmm. Detective Benson. Law and Order SVU. I don't watch that. Morgan. No. I'm with Hillary. All right. I mean, I know what it is, but I don't watch it. Listen. Listen, love coming. We were coming for Morgan. I'll forgive you. Okay, because you're just so innocent and pure. Yeah. That one, my dark cat over there, needs to get it together. Because I like real shit, not fake shit. Ooh, real shit. <laughs> Say that to Olivia Benson for 20 years. She's been, there's a, you know what? This isn't about her. This is about Dramane. Anyway, the detectives said no. Eventually, a date and time would be set. April 30th, 1997. April 30th. Wow. Their daughter died. December 26th, mm. they finally sat down for an interview with the police. On April 30th. On April 30th. Mm. Just enough time to scrub some things of some things. To get hide a story together. I hate to say this because it sounds bad, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do it. Say it. It's never stopped you before. You're <laughs> absolutely right, but now it's on record. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm Okay, the first thing that hits me, you're new to the true crime world, so I'm true. just going to say this. Okay. Most stories that are fumbled and you never get resolution out of is because of the main first few hours of what happens. Mm-hmm. So think about, okay, the crime scene. They let everybody in there. Yeah. Everybody. And those people that they let in there are still the people that are hanging around and telling them, the doctor telling her oh, she can't answer. She's just not medically cleared to answer. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That's a good point. So there's already all these missing pieces. Yeah. And they don't give an interview until April 30th. Mm-hmm. Sorry. They don't give an interview to police until April 30th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Investigators would be permitted the opportunity to separately interview John and Papsy Ramsey. They could use that time in any manner they saw fit. Each would be represented by his or her attorney, of course, and a member of the DA's office would also sit in as an observer. Investigators were really interested in Patsy, and there was a few reasons. The main reason 
was because her handwriting style had been determined to be consistent with the ransom note. No way. And we'll talk about that more later. She denied writing the ransom note or knowing anything about a foreign faction or the meaning of SBTC. Because remember, they signed it yeah. SBTC. What? And also, she had given two slightly different versions of how she discovered that John Bonet was missing. First, she said that she had gone to her daughter's room to wake her up about 545, found her gone, then discovered the note as she was going downstairs. Mm. And then later, she said that she was just on her way downstairs, then saw the note, then ran up to the room, which, I mean, it has been several months. Yeah. But I think she told this, like, soon after, like, her story swapped. But again, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, but she also expressed ignorance about the $118,000 year in bonus that John got. Mm. Like, you don't talk to your husband. I mean, maybe they didn't. They're so rich. Maybe he didn't tell her about his finances and his bonus, but. I feel like you would, though. Right. And really, that much may just be like, meh. (laughs) Charles is shady character. Because it wasn't that much. Yeah, for sure. And um, they were also concerned about the statement that she. So when she called, she said she only read the first few lines of the ransom note before she ran back upstairs to check on Jean Bonnet. But when she was on the phone with the 911 dispatcher, she said something about the ransom note saying victory in SBTC. So if you just read the first, first few lines. Line, how did you do that? Oh, and they said Patsy seemed to handle the questions with composure, but in some instances she appeared to be very evasive. And a number of her questions were answered with, I don't remember, or I can't recall. But again, it's been so long yeah. that they didn't really. She also denied feeding either of the kids pineapple. And she went on to say that she didn't believe it was possible that either of her kids would have gotten up at night to fix themselves a snack because she said she would have heard the kitchen cupboards being open and closed. Would you, Patsy? Yeah. Because you're just so medicated all the time. Yeah. yeah. So John, his story pretty much goes in line with hers as the morning, as far as the morning goes. But he provided specific details about immediately observing the white blanket and his mm-hmm. daughter's body upon entering the room. He said that he saw the white blanket that she was wrapped in the instant he opened the door. And this happened before he even turned on the light. But again, this didn't go with what Fleet had said earlier when he said he opened the door see and couldn't see anything because it was so dark. Oh my gosh. But you also have to see like, I would feel incredibly, like, I feel bad for Fleet Fleet, because, like, you think about it from his perspective, like, he's just there trying to help his friend. And one thing I read said that he was the only one that walked through the house calling JonBenet's name. Mm. They had said, like, not long before this, his daughter, like, went missing, but she was just hiding in the house, you know? Like, so he kind of thought maybe this is what JonBenet was doing. She was just hiding. So he kind of, he kind of knew how the Ramseys felt for a minute because he was like, oh my God. Yeah. But then they yeah. find found her hiding. And I mean, um, he doesn't know the layout of the basement. If it's dark, he doesn't know where the light is. Sure. But then again, he said that he felt like John, the father John, screamed before the light was even turned on. Oh. I don't think I caught that earlier. Yeah. yeah he said that. Oh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So when everything was done, the investigators really had more questions than answers. And they still felt that John Bonet's parents couldn't be eliminated as suspects. They tried to talk to Burke that morning before he left. And John Ramsey was immediately like Burke was asleep and he didn't know anything. Mm. But was he? 
They did let Burke talk early, but I think it was because like CP, it was a CPS thing. And that's probably the only reason they let Burke talk in January. Cause like I said, it had something to do with CPS. So I think they let him talk so early because they didn't want to get him, him to get taken away or something. Yeah, okay. But on January the 8th, he was interviewed hmm. by a doctor, um, along with someone from the Department of Social Services. So that doctor said that Burke showed very little emotion in connection with his family. He didn't cry at all when he talked about his sister. And then at one point in the interview, she asked him, do you still feel safe at home? And without hesitation, he said, yeah, he felt safe at home and he was not worried about anybody returning. If I was a kid, I'd be like, I I don't ever want to live in that house again. They're going to come back for me. Yeah. But Burke was like, no, I'm good. There'd be some artwork. What an odd little goose. Some art therapy going on. (laughs) Yeah. Drawings. Well, Mm. speaking of drawings, um, the doctor was also concerned because during the interview, she asked Burke to draw a picture of their, of his family and he didn't draw. Okay. He didn't draw John Bonet in that picture. And this is right oh, okay. after she died. And the doctor said, "Oh, in her experience, kids include their, their yeah, whoever it was, mom, dad, sister, in their pictures for years. Yeah, wow. After they die, but nope, just him, mom, and dad in the picture. Okay. And then when they asked him what he thought happened, Burke said that he knew what happened and that she'd been killed. And he said that he thought somebody quietly carried her downstairs in the basement and the person either stabbed her or hit her in the head with a hammer. And when he did that, he made like a hitting motion. So just nonchalant. He was like, somebody was like, bam. Okay. He's looking a little fishy. So we're going to move on to other stuff. So that was all them. Here's a lot of things that are fishy. Okay. Okay. The fact that John and Patsy didn't cooperate with police. They immediately hired a lawyer and they were never completely forthcoming about what happened. The officer there said that they acted very odd. He said he saw no physical contact between them, not even a single touch, or they barely even spoke or looked at each other that day. Between the parents? Yeah, when she was missing. So, like, Patsy's over there sobbing. John never walked over and was like, it's going to be okay. We're going to find her. They barely even acknowledged each other. And one of the officers said at one point, Patsy sounded like she was crying, but he didn't see any tears. And he says that she kept staring at him and was even like looking, like peeking at him between her fingers Hmm. as she was covering her eyes, kind of be like, is he watching? Does he see me crying? Just like, am I selling it? Am I doing it well? Kind of peek. Detective Art wrote, noted that John Ramsey seemed to be distracted throughout the course of the morning and was out of the, out of the den on at least three occasions during the time frame that they awaited the ransom call. So, why? You should be sitting there by the phone. Yeah, waiting. right by the phone, like, for sure. waiting for it to ring. Uh, at approximately 1.40 p.m., right after the body was found, Detective Bill Palmer overheard John speaking on the phone and making arra- arrangements to fly to Atlanta that afternoon or evening. What? Upon the conclusion of the phone call, Palmer told Ramsey that he couldn't leave town and he would need to, s- to stay to assist in the investigation of the murder of his daughter. Oh, John Ramsey reportedly told Mason that he had to leave to attend a meeting he could not miss. Sergeant Mason eventually convinced the father of the murdered child of the necessity of remaining in Boulder. Yeah, so he's like, he's like, oh, I, got, like I got a meeting. Yeah, your daughter just died. Was murdered. Yeah. Gotta go. Business no. duty calls. Yeah. No. Linda Art said right after the body was found, she was kneeling down next to John in the body and said, as we looked at each other, I remember tucking my gun right next to me and mm-hmm. consciously counting, I've got 18 bullets. 
in an interview three years after the death. She said, I know who killed John Bonet. There's no doubt in my mind who killed John Bonet. And while this investigation is still going, is still ongoing, I don't think it's appropriate I say the name out loud. So she just is basically saying she got weird vibes from John. And that's this is the mom, right? No. No, so this is one of the detectives. The de- okay. That was there when they found the body. Oh. Okay. So no money or valuables were missing from the house. And they didn't even take John Bonet. Even though they asked for ransom money, her body was found in the basement. So did the plan go awry and they just decided to kill her and get out of there? Or, you know, and also back to the phone call, um, the detective said nobody responded at all when 10 a.m. came and went. No one was sitting by the phone. No one even said like, hey, wasn't, weren't they supposed to call at like 10? Yeah, that doesn't, mm, that doesn't sit well. And again, like you said, Burke slept through everything. His mom apparently was screaming. Tons of friends came in. Police were going through the house no. searching, but he only woke up when John went to get him. Mm. I mean, it could be that medication that the pediatrician be given out is all I'm saying. <laughs> so the ransom note alone caused a lot of you know confusion because, again, the $118,000 was what John got for his bonus. But they also right. said it was just a weird amount. Uh, yeah. Like that's just a very random amount. And they also it thought is. that it was really low because John, hmm. they were rich. Yeah, that's true. And he was capable of paying up to a million. Huh. The length of the note was an issue. It was three pages long and experts determined that it would have taken the writer 21 minutes to write it. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So you're doing huh. all this mess. Yeah. But you're going to take 21 minutes to sit in the house, write a, write note, a note with those people's things and assuming this was somebody that you know they had to look for a pen and pencil assuming yeah. that it was somebody who didn't yeah, already know no. where the pen and uh, pen and paper no. i mean were yeah so they took the time to do all that mm. and again patsy's patsy's handwriting john had been ruled out yeah. as the writer but handwriting experts for the colorado bureau of investigations were unable to give patsy the same clean bill of health even after she admitted five separate samples they even had pants pats, pansy <laughs> they even had patsy who was right-handed provide one sample where she used her left hand mm-hmm. you know because a lot of people think oh, right. i use my left hand they won't know um, but the handwriting analysis expert said that he believed 24 of the 26 letters of the alphabet matched her handwriting style yeah y'all what? And then there was weird stuff about the 911 call as well. You heard it. Yeah. But yeah. there was more. Okay. Just you wait. So the 911 uh, dispatcher could not get past the notion that something had been wrong about the 911 call. She asked her supervisor if police had listened to the 911 tape and was told that they had already obtained a copy of the recording. She asked, what about the end of the call? Had they listened to the tail end of the call after Patsy Ramsey had stopped talking? The supervisor looked back at the dispatcher with a puzzled look on her face. What are you talking about? She asked. The 911 call didn't end when Patsy stopped talking to her. The telephone line had not disconnected immediately, and she had heard a definite change in the tone of Patsy's voice before the call was fully terminated. The dispatcher explained that uh, the hysterical nature of Patsy Ramsey's voice seemed to disappear, and it seemed that she had been talking to someone nearby at her uh, end of the call. It was theorized that Patsy Ramsey had placed the headset 
the handset of the telephone into its wall mounted cradle after discounting her conversation with the dispatch center, but that it had not fully settled into mm. disconnected. It wasn't fully disconnected. Um, there were three distinct voices heard on the tape, and the conversation was identified as follows. So they heard a male's angry voice, and they said it sounded like him saying, we're not speaking to you. Mm. And then there was a female voice that it sounded like said, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And then they said they heard a young male voice say, well, what did you find? And they had several people listen to the enhanced version of the tape and compare notes, and apparently every technician heard the same thing. Yeah, so we couldn't find a good one that would play well over the microphone. But I don't know. Maybe that just wasn't a good video. I f- I, that, but I feel like if you, I mean, the nine one one operators have like those. I mean, they wear the headphones. They wear the whole thing. Like they can hear everything in mm-hmm. the background. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So, mm-hmm. like in the end, this whole thing, um, they took it before a grand jury. So they came together in nineteen ninety eight to determine if there was probable cause to charge John and Patsy Ramsey in the relation to their daughter's death. And in 1999, the grand jury voted that there was probable cause to charge uh, John and Patsy with child abuse resulting in death and accessory to first-degree murder. However, the district attorney, Alex Hunter, refused to sign the indictment. He said that we don't have enough sufficient evidence to warrant um, the filing of charges. So a grand jury said, yeah, they should be charged, but... The district attorney didn't sign the indictment. Still don't really know what happened. A few people have confessed to the murder. Really? Mm-hmm. So the first one was, his name was John Mark Carr. So in 2006, a school teacher named John Mark Carr made a bizarre confession claiming that he was the one behind the murder of John Bonet. He put himself on the radar when he reached out to a University of Colorado Boulder professor uh, professor named Michael Tracy. He contacted Tracy via email uh, because he found out that Tracy was making a documentary on the case. And so he was emailing him back and forth. And those emails soon took a sickening turn and revealed that Carr's sexual fascination with Jean Bonnet. So Tracy told the police. Carr was arrested while he was in Thailand, where he'd been residing after he faced charges of child pornography in the United States. Oh, my gosh. Um, I loved Jean Benet. John Mark Carr, 41, told a press conference in Bangkok, I was with Jean Benet when she died, and she died accidentally. Oh. He recalls strangling her in a love game gone wrong. He had a 139-page journal that provided sick, intimate details of the crime. He also revealed over the phone that when he couldn't revive JonBenet, he struck her in the head with a blunt object. He told a professor that the professor that he engaged in oral sex with the victim, but had not performed sexual penetration. Aware that this dude was writing a book on the case and doing the documentary, he offered the author the inside story from the killer's point of view. And he also said that if this book became a movie, he wanted to be played by Johnny Depp. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he was flown to Boulder, and within less than a day, police determined that his confession was completely false. 
Um, the details of conf- his confession did not match the evidence at the scene. He said that he abducted her while she was on her way to school, even though school was not in session at the time, and she was last seen sleeping in her bed before the murder. And if he knew anything about the murder, yeah, like no, no. he would have known it was like the day after Christmas. Nobody goes to school the day after Christmas. And then he said he drugged her, even though the autopsy showed no traces of drugs yeah. in her system, and nothing at the scene included any of the unidentified DNA matched car. His ex-wife also gave police pictures from the Christmas of 1996 that showed that car was at home in Georgia at the time of the killing. Duh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, there's this whole big thing about people who confess to murders. They didn't do. I don't get it. uh, Sounds like a little mental thing. Fantasy world. There was another confession uh, by a guy named Gary Olivia. He was a known sex offender that was in Boulder uh, at the time of the murder. He first came to the attention of investigators when he turned up at the first anniversary memorial service for John Bonet in December 1997. They also noticed that he picked up his mail at, at a Catholic church a, flu- a few blocks from the Ramsey home. Not sure if they did DNA then. Um, Michael Vale, a high school friend of Olivia, claimed he phoned him not long after the murder and stated he had hurt a little girl. Mm. Vale also claimed uh, the knots used to bond uh, John Bonet were similar to those used by Olivia in an incident where the uh, latter attempt, attempted to strangle his own mother with a tele- telephone cord. Um, in an interview, Michael Vale said, uh, My suspicions began when Gary called me late at the night of December 26, 1996. He was sobbing and said, I heard a little girl. I had known Gary from my time at high school, and we had kept in touch. Whenever he said he had heard a little girl, I tried to get more information out of him. The only other thing he told me was that he was in uh, the Boulder, Colorado area. On December 27th, I read on the front page of my local newspaper that a girl six years old was slain in Boulder, Colorado. I knew I had to alert the police. I immediately called the Boulder Police Department and told them I knew about Gary and what he had told me just days earlier. They didn't get back to me. Three months later, I called the police again to find out what was going on, but instead I was sent to a police answering machine set up for tips on the John Monet case. Uh, when arrested on drug charges in 2000, Olivia was found with a John Bonet cutout and a stun gun in his possession. His reasoning for the photo, John Bonet's murder touched me very deeply. Uh, I feel she was an exceptional girl whose death was an exceptional loss. I felt the need to build a monument, a shrine, to remember this little girl. After his 2000 arrest, police took Olivia's DNA, and sources claimed that there was not a match, there was not a match that, to be found at the crime scene. In 2019, while serving a 10-year sentence for possession of child pornography, Gary, he uh, admitted in letters to Michael Vale that he killed John Monet. Uh, I never loved anyone like I did John Monet, and yet I let her slip. I let her slip and her head bashed in in half, and I watched her die. Well, we know that didn't happen. But, I mean, it was an accident. Please believe me. She was not like the other kids, Olivia wrote. In another letter, Olivia wrote, John Monet completely changed me and removed all evil from me. Just one look at her beautiful face, her glowing, beautiful skin, and her divine God body. Oh, my God. We're talking about a six-year-old kid. (laughs) I realized I was wrong to kill other kids. Yet my, by accident, she died, and it was my fault. 
Uh, Vale gave the letters to police. Their statement was, the Boulder Police Department is aware of Gary Olivia and has investigated his potential involvement in this case, including several previous confessions. The department routinely receives uh, information on this investigation. Information provided to the police department is reviewed along with many tips and theories we receive. There are no new updates in this investigation, and the department will comment no further. So, so really, it's just these six sick predatorial people who have these fantasies about this girl. So they call in, they're like, "Oh, I did it," lead them down a goose chase, and then find out that they're just sick in the head. I, just, I don't understand. That. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, there's a few theories. It really boils down to an intruder theory or one of the family members did a theory. So, kind of the things that make people lean toward the intruder theory was the presence of the male DNA in her underwear was evidence that led some investigators and attorney attorneys to believe that an intruder had been responsible for her murder because they're thinking, okay, the dad and brother the aren't going to do it. But, you know. Um, also, there were 100 burglaries in that neighborhood in the months leading up to the murder, and there were dozens of registered sex offenders in the area. Yeah, Due to her higher profile as a child beauty pageant participant, some believed she was more at risk from stranger abduction by a pedophile. They also ended up discovering that one door to the Ramsey home was unlocked. There were also two basement windows that were left ajar, like just enough to let the cord from a Christmas light be plugged in mm-hmm. from outside. And again, a lot of people say that the evidence that John Monet had been sexually assaulted is one of the strongest indicators because even if the dad did do it, why would the wife help cover right. that up? Right. So, and then, you know, the family. The John did it theory, there's not really a lot of evidence to this other than just people saying that he did it. Um, Some people think he was molesting John Monet, but no one that knew them has ever stepped up and said that they believed he abused her. The possible theory is that maybe at the time he was molesting her and she threatened to tell and that he reacted in anger. And then John was pointing a lot of fingers at people. So Fleet White got into an argument with him about not cooperating with the police. Like, Fleet White was mad through a lot of this investigation. And then as soon as he got into an argument with John, right after that, John was like, well, maybe Fleet did it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, if you're a parent, maybe you just search for answers yeah, anywhere. That's true. And then the people that do believe it do believe that Patsy yeah. helped him cover it up. So, And then there's the Patsy did it theory. Patsy did it theory. Uh, People say she was obsessed with having a picture-perfect family. Some reports uh, claim that JonBenet loved doing pageants and that Patsy would never make her do them if she didn't want to. Others say JonBenet only performed because her mom wanted her to. They claim that Patsy was pretty uh, much reliving her pageant days through JonBenet. Photographs that have been developed from the White's uh, Christmas Day dinner party had been reviewed and it was discovered that Patsy had been wearing the same clothing on the morning of the reported kidnapping as those depicted in the holiday photos. Rick French has noted his observations about the attire in his initial police report and had also observed that her hair and makeup had been done on the morning of the kidnapping. Mm. The, the clothing seemed out of character for the former uh, Miss America beauty cont- contestant. Family friends had told investigators that Patsy had never been observed to wear the same outfit two days in a row. Hmm. She was always uh, meticulous about her appearance. Investigators wondered if she had ever gone to bed that night. 
The Patsy did it theory is typically tied into JonBenet's bedwetting. The housekeeper, Linda, indicated that JonBenet had been wearing pull-up diapers during her first six months of employment with the family. Mm. She had been wetting the bed nearly every night of the week. Uh, she then indicated that the bedwetting eventually subsided and that it had begun again in the month or so preceding the 1996 Christmas holidays. It went on nightly for about a week, and then she thought it to be occurring every other night. Hoffa Pugh indicated that she worked every other day when she arrived at the home. The sheets to JonBenet's bed were already stripped and in the washing machine in the hallway outside of her room. It's theorized that Patsy fatally struck JonBenet over the head after she wet the bed. She then strangled her child and staged the scene to cover up the beating. See, I don't buy the Patsy did it theory at all. Why? You're telling me that your obsession over your child that you're you're living your past life through your money grub even if you could say that you're gonna kill her because she pees the bed yeah some people said too that the vaginal trauma could have been from aggressive wiping yeah like if Mm. patsy had to clean her just wiping too aggressively i don't know that was just one of the things that they kind of tied to that theory to explain the vaginal um yeah whatever um but yeah Uh, i don't i don't know But but the thing the thing that sticks out to me is like like the housekeeper says she would do it and then it would stop and then she would do it and then it would stop so it's like my two thoughts are okay maybe she has some maybe she's drinking water before she goes to bed and she has bladder she just can't hold it she's little she pees a bit or the sexual abuse claims yeah. are true yeah and something is triggering that yeah so some fear is triggering that. And then the most popular theory. And My personal favorite. And the brother. let's start with saying everything's alleged. This is alleged. Please don't sue us, Burke Ramsey. We don't have any money. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so apparently there was a history of anger geared towards JonBenet. Mm-hmm. There was an incident a year before the murder where I guess they were playing outside and they had one of the, it was a toy golf club, kind of like the uh, wiffle ball. Yeah bat but it was a golf club he hit her with it and the ramses said it was an accident and it left jean benet with a cut and a black eye it could have been you know they say she was walking behind him and he swung back yeah. and hit her but i don't know it happens i don't know the housekeeper linda said that burke was also known to leave feces oh my specifically in jean benet's bed what and would spread it on the walls of the home During the crime scene processing, a pair of pajama pants containing fecal material was found in JonBenet's bedroom, and they were too big for her, so it was thought that they belonged to Burke. Additionally, a box of candy was located in her bedroom, and it had been smeared with feces. It was like Christmas candy. Oh, my gosh. So they're thinking Burke was, like, jealous and would smear his shit on all her stuff. (laughs) But my thing is, like, what's with the children and and the bodily functions like that's weird peeing and the pooping yeah. the peeing and the pooping like one of them's pissing <laughs> the bed and the other one's shitting, shitting on everything <laughs> i don't know like, oh yeah weird. you love her more i'll show you <sighs> just wipes shit Pulled out of amber heard shit. <laughs> <laughs> shit in her bed i don't know i, I but but that is like it just aligns just especially now it's not just one child now yeah. the other child burke I could see, like, okay, so maybe it is a jealousy thing. And she's getting so much attention because she is wetting the bed mm. that he's like, okay, well, maybe if I... I'm going to take it up a notch. I'm going to take it up, bed. exactly. 
I'll see your pee and, and raise, I raise you shit. <laughs> so I feel like wow. maybe with his personality, because some kind of personality problem, yeah. sitting here going, I'm not getting this attention, mm-hmm. but she's getting attention doing something wrong. Let's see what happens when I do it wrong. And then like older brothers anyway. Yeah, sure. Hit their sisters with stuff all the time. <laughs> brother hit you. <laughs> yeah. Is your brother older or younger? Younger. Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't understand what I've been through. No. I don't have an older brother. I had an uncle who was like, my parents were young when they had me. So my uncle's only like five years older than me. Oh, wow. He would have hit me with a bat for exactly. sure. I grew up with two older brothers. Yeah. They used to tape pillows to me and oh tackle me. But see, like, Jer- uh, my uncle used to like, destroy in a my, loving way. He would destroy really? my shit. Like, he, like, I, if I made a cardboard fort, he'd tear that shit down. Yeah. He didn't like shit in my fort. No, no. There was no <laughs> shit involved. No, he just fucking tore it up. My brother mm. put hosh, pot, mashed potatoes in my eye before. What? <laughs> hot taters. I was, throwing, I was throwing peas at him from across the table, and he walked over and took a scoop of hot mashed potatoes and put it in my face. So it's like, okay, there's there's sibling issues going on here. Yeah. But I've ne- no, my brothers have never shit in my bed. <laughs> They've never smeared their body fluids on my bed. Like there's like it did some. It's just odd yeah. that this is the avenue that we're competing yeah. in. Yeah. Hmm. And so also, if you remember, we talked about they thought that there were marks from a stun gun on Jaminé's back. They did a lot of research into that, mm-hmm. but like stun guns leave burn marks. Yeah. And these were apparently just like abrasions, so mm-hmm. they weren't really consistent. They matched up. To yeah. a stun gun, but the injuries weren't consistent of a stun gun. Yeah. Well, the toy train set, it was one of those that snapped together, and the prongs from that matched up. Interesting. Okay. So huh. the main story of the Burke theory is that people think that Burke was at the table eating pineapple, and maybe like Jaminé walked by and took a piece and was like, hey, hey. And then he got the flashlight, fucking bonked her. And then the parents covered it up. So the parents wake up and, you know, they covered up for him because you've already lost one child. If he goes to jail or wherever you send kids that kill their siblings, you've lost two kids. Wow. That, and it's, and it's kind of like, it had like, okay, say that that happened. The only part that doesn't make so like the nine one one after call when she thought she hung up would make sense. That yes. that initial yeah. interaction the, where they're what like, "What did you find?" We're not talking to you. Well, what did you find? Well, what did you find? Yeah, well, yeah, that adds sister. up to that theory. Oh. What doesn't make sense in that theory is the emotion and fake crying from mom. Why does that make sense? Because like, okay, your kid is still dead. Yeah. Why aren't you crying real oh, tears? Oh, okay. Gotcha. Like, why, gotcha. why is yeah, the emotion You should be real? really crying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. then, I mean, I don't know. Like, the emotional aspect of it doesn't make sense. How they acted doesn't make sense. Maybe yeah. they were, like, the dad still trying to go to the meeting that he just can't miss. Like, <laughs> whoever's in New England, you know what I mean? It's just, like, mm. she, he, maybe that was his, like, uh, okay, I just got to get away from it. I got to get away from it. I got to mm-hmm. get away from it so it's not weird. But it made it that much more right. obvious that something was not right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty much it. I got really tired of researching. So <laughs> like, I don't really, I didn't really have much. Uh, Patsy passed away in 2006 from ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, John is still alive and he's still 
I mean, even recently, they're still, as things advance, they still take DNA from that crime scene and analyze it. And to this day, I mean, I think they even did it a couple of years ago. They reran some of the DNA and nothing ever shows up. So he's still looking for answers. And so is one of her half brothers from John's first marriage. His name is John Andrew. Like these people are conceited. (laughs) John. Yeah. Mr. Ramsey. And then Burke sues everybody that accuses him of doing it, like for real. And I will say this, if like you want to go take the extra mile, I've seen interviews of Burke as of recently. Mm. In the interviews, you can kind of pick up some personality things Mm. that would make you kind of go, "Mm." not saying that he did it. No, never. (laughs) Never, But there's just questionable behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what do you think, Morgan? I was not expecting that. No. What did you think, Kat? Like, what's your perspective? Allegedly. Like, well, no. What was your first impression? I was really confused at first, not going to lie. Um, but, <laughs> um, well, I do think going off of the, the brothers did it, that the brother did it, allegedly, that he was probably extremely jealous of her. And the mom definitely gave all the attention to the daughter. And he just, like, definitely just had to do something. He took it to the extreme, obviously. No, allegedly. But Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Not obviously. But, okay. But, like, ah, oh, golly. It's quite a story. Yeah, yeah. That's so, for sure. Well, that was our first podcast. Sorry if it wasn't that good. It probably wasn't. And I will say the sound will get better. Morgan and Taylor had to share a microphone. Whoops. Because we ordered the wrong kind of microphone for Morgan. Yeah. Well, so we got to get that straightened out. Be me. So the sound should get better. The content should get better. Maybe. The stories are definitely Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. this was a lot. And it was, I mean, it's crazy, but it wasn't like crazy, crazy. But we mainly wanted yeah, to start with this one because this was the first one we talked about. Yeah. That, so, and it's such just, a predominant case that yeah. Morgan. I remember, I, know, I remember I being little and being in grocery stores and seeing her on magazines. Yeah. And she, and then even years after that, she'd be even on. Even today. She'd be on that, mm. what magazine was it that had like fucking Bat Boy and shit on it? What? Then what? You know, it was like the, it was like the newspaper magazine they would have that would have like weird shit on it, like Bat Boy and no. conspiracy theory. I always wanted to read it, but I was scared because <laughs> of that picture of Bat Boy. I mean, but they would have stuff that was like, JonBenet, abducted by aliens or. Oh, Presley still alive. Oh, yeah. I never looked at magazines, not gonna lie. Well, you are responsive. Well, your generation doesn't. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was it. Like I said, the next few will be better. We just had to do this one for Morgan. Wow. So, we just had to say. expose you to the trauma that we have. Yeah, that is the trauma. Everything else from this point will just get crazier. Perfect. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That was it. The first episode of Lady. Right. You're scaring us. Signing out.